and welcome to the Rituals for Liberation podcast. I'm your host, Fanny Priest. I believe that the massive changes needed to secure justice and wellness for all of the world's inhabitants are possible when our healers and changemakers are deeply resourced, fully embodied, and answering their calling from a place of self-trust. In this podcast, I'll be talking to folks about the daily rituals that allow them to do their big, world-changing work responsibly and sustainably. My hope is that these conversations will help to make sure that the revolution is resourced. And now, on to today's show. Hello, Maggie. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here on the show. Thanks, Danny. It's really an honor. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Um, if you're willing, can we start with a brief centering so that you and I can get in the same space together? I would love and that. Thank you. And if you're listening, please follow along to the degree that you are able or willing. So if it's okay for you, I would invite you to close your eyes or you can just create a soft gaze, maybe down onto the floor in front of you. And if it's possible, I would invite you to place your hand somewhere on the body that feels good. That could be just simply palms down on your thighs or maybe placing the hands on the heart or on the belly. So you can ground yourself into your own touch and bring your attention to those places of your body that are making contact with support. That might be the chair that you're sitting on, whatever surface that your, your seat and your feet are touching. Get a little bit more acquainted with the ways in which your body is connecting to support. And all we do here is just make space for what is to be as it is. So welcoming yourself welcoming all of the parts of you and all the parts of your experience, all the parts of your humanity to this moment. And then we'll just take three straw breaths. And that's simply just a long, smooth breath in through the nose and then exhaling through pursed lips as though you're breathing out through a straw and it may create a slight hissing sound and that's okay. So at your own pace when you're ready, three breaths in through the nose, out through pursed lips. Then opening your eyes whenever you're ready. Hello, Maggie. Um, so to start us off, would you please um, introduce yourself, telling us who you are, what pronouns you use, and what is the work that you do in the world? How do you help people? Yeah, thanks, Fanny, and also thanks for that. I, 
needed it. I placed my hands on my heart and could feel my heart beating a little more profoundly than typical. Uh Um, So that was really sweet to start off this way. Um, But I'm Maggie Gentry and I use she, her pronouns. And I am a thought partner and business coach for what I'm starting to call high conscious entrepreneurs. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is looking at the many millions of us that use our businesses as conduits for change and as the platform that we, um, that we use to create the change that we want to see in the world. And so really wanting to start this conversation around how do we elevate the conversation around business from something that feels so transactional and mechanical and, um, inhuman, inhumane often into something that's really being, bringing that humanity back. Um, and when we can be, when we can be for profit and for purpose without them being mutually exclusive. Um, so the, the work that I do is a lot around creating systems for folks and systems for their businesses that support that vision and that value. Um, systems that feel good in their body and in their soul. Um, And that includes a lot of permission giving and a lot of exploring and space. It includes a lot of inquiry into, you know, what it is that feels good and and trying to find whatever subversive way to get your message into the world that feels uniquely yours. That's so fantastic. I love when you're talking about systems and self-care together, and that really <laughs> confirms why why you are my soul sister. <laughs> like, yes, I love that so much. Um, I think you've answered this question a little bit already, but I, I'm going to ask you more formally. Um, mm. What what does liberation mean to you? What is your vision for liberation? Vision of liberation for the world. Mm, well. Um, I'll start personally. So, you know, I have this, I know that I'm not alone in this. I think many of us come from a history of being um, people pleasers and growing up in a space of uh, feeling like we need to perform in a certain way. We've got to earn um, reward or earn pleasure or earn um, rest even. And, um, so through my own personal development journey and my own self-healing journey, um, it's really been around untethering myself from the expectations, experiences, histories of others, and really stepping into owning what it is that I want. And so for me, liberation is taking it one need, one desire at a time and, you know, really identifying it, voicing it, acknowledging it, honoring it. And when I do that, I'm seeing that this chain that perhaps held me back, I'm able to kind of see one link disappear. And so the hope is that I kind of see liberation as this untethering. Um, And 
I'm, I'm reading, I just started, I think I'm on like the first chapter, but it's Krista Tippett's Becoming Wise. And there is, um, she mentions in there something about um, developing the individual self is really developing the social self and it, it, and how just coming back again to this like personal exploration is really um, the personal evolution is a societal evolution. And so as far as like the, the, you know, going to the second part of the question is like, how do I see liberation on a larger scale starts with the individual. And so, and I know that that feeds directly into the work that you do in the world. Fanny is just like making sure that we as individuals are well resourced. So then we can go out and lead by example or hold space for others who are on the journey. Um, so it's embracing an approach that might seem from the outside selfish, but knowing that it's honoring yourself is really honoring the whole because we all are connected. I just want to take a moment because I'm so moved by what you're saying that I'm feeling <laughs> tears well up. I just want to take a moment. I don't want to like brush past it. I think it's so profound the way that you talk about this untethering and, and the, I think that I want a tattoo. <laughs> what did you say? Like one want, one desire at a time like <laughs> on like my forearm so where I can see it all the time. Well, I mean, it's so powerful because I think that so many of us are in a place where we, we, can, we can feel the tether and we can feel the shackle and we can feel the, the, the immense weight and the restriction of what was and who we had to be. Mm -hmm. um, individually and collectively. And, and I think that so many of us are at a place where we are either have just come to consciousness about this tether or, or, or have had consciousness for a while, but it still feels like it's so big. It's so heavy. It's so long. Like, how can I possibly do that? How can I possibly unravel all of this? And I think that the way that we're approaching that has so much to do with what the culture would, wants us to be, which is this kind of like very binary all or nothing, <laughs> right? Which is so is like, it kind of feels like once you can see it, that we should be able to unravel it all at once, that we should be able to untether all at once. And, and I think there's a lot, for me, there's a lot of frustration about like how long it takes. And, um, and I think that you put forth such a beautiful vision of one need and one want at a time. And that just feels so doable. You know, like, I'm, I'm like, yes. And I think it requires a constant dedication to continue to check in and ask. Oh, by, I, by doable, I don't mean easy. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it's it's kind of so. There's this beautiful quote. Um, I, I believe the the originator of the quote is uh, the novelist E. L. Doctorow. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, uh, and it applies to writing, but it applies to so much else in life. He says that writing is like driving at night. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can 
you can go the whole way home that way. Like you can go the whole, mm. and, and I think that so much of the time I know for me, like I want to see the whole drive and I want to know exactly, like I want to be on my Google maps and I want Google maps to tell me you are on the fastest route. You are avoiding delays on I-35. You will be there at 2:45. Like that's what I want my healing journey to be. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice <laughs> and I want my podcast to cut in and out at the right time when you know like when Siri's giving me instructions anyway um but I feel but what truly what it is right is this like only going as far as the headlights but if we do that and if we do that over and over we will go all the way home that way and I think that that's mm. what you're that's what you're bringing forth and yes it requires tremendous amounts of self-awareness and pausing in and checking in and listening and honoring our bodies, honoring our needs, honoring our pleasure, all of which is stuff that we have zero training in. We mm -hmm. have very few models in. I mean, we're modeling that for each other. And I think that that's how our businesses are really kind of creating this vision of liberation, right? It's like just all of us together going like, you know, like, look over here, look what she's doing. Look, that's amazing. Look over there, look what they're doing. That's amazing. You know, like, and, um, but yeah, it, it, I don't know. That's the, the kind of like the, the, like little bites. I, and I just felt my whole system just, just kind of like decompress and regulate. And there's such a, a relief and a release when you said that. So thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah. And I mean, um, even I think about yesterday and I was having super angsty feelings. Like I was angry. I felt super misanthropic. I was like, I don't want to see another human today. And I texted a friend about it. And I think I sent her, I just want to like slam my proverbial door to the world and like blast jagged little pill. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And she goes, well, well, can't you like, or why can't you? And so then it was just that light bulb moment of like, yeah, I can. And so I had to run this errand last night. So there I was like in my car, jagged little pill, like full blast. And it was such a release because I needed, I mean, and I, it's like, and that's where I can also, um, you know, try to over intellectualize or prognosticate like, why am I feeling this way? And sometimes it's just, it's here. And so then like, let me just feel, feel it. So Alanis helps at least. Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So two thoughts on that. One thought is, have you seen, um, the, um, used to be called the illest tarot now called that nineties tarot that has like so many like musical figures and actors like from the nineties as all yeah. the different archetypes and Alanis is the star. So oh, of course. definitely <laughs> blasting jagged little pill is going to be a very healing thing um, for us 90s girls, 90s peoples. Um, but the other thing I think that it can be so easy for us to, particularly when we're very service oriented and when we, you know, fall into the category of healer, space holder, empath, helping professional, whatever, um, 
to think that we're kind of supposed to do that all the time and we really don't allow for that you know misanthropic vibe to be a really adaptive thing like it's really adaptive it's really aligned like sometimes you're just like yeah that's the most enlightened thing i can do right now is just flip the bird to all of y'all and get my car and blast some alanis morissette like really loudly like that just perfectly resonates <laughs> Um, so how does the work that you do specifically kind of directly work towards this vision of liberation that you have for the world? Mm. You know, I, I mentioned that what in taking it one step at a time, it really is. So there's a matter of, um, creating space for people because in that space, as you know, when we can be still and get quiet, that's when, even if it feels uncomfortable, but there will be a whisper of the soul that will come when we become adept to listening. And also for me, it feels um, sometimes counterintuitive when I think about putting the soul back into the business sphere um, but especially with the folks that I'm working with, you know, a lot of times they are service providers, they are experts in their field, they are selling an IP that is something that they've created. Um, so then a lot of times it is a personal brand. So they get to be as uniquely themselves as they want to be. Um, so there isn't a lot of separation between who they are as humans in this world and the business that they are cultivating. Um, so it's a lot about space holding. It's a lot about asking questions, even though I am um, working towards clarity and some sort of, um, I say efficiency, but it, I don't think it's that because I, I have like a bad connotation with efficiency, but just, you know, having think, um, getting into more of a flow. And um, so I kind of think of it as, if you think of like the creative energy as almost a river. And so water can be quite destructive um, or it can just like without the river bank. So it's like this grounding energy of some sort of um, earth energy that allows a natural border to occur. I feel like I'm sort of like the river banks so that we can zig and we can zag and we can flow however you're feeling. And there's the, like this continual focus, like there's some sort of um, direction, even if we expand or perhaps we get narrow. Um, so it's, it's that kind of um, co-creation, but it's all centered around space and inquiry. That's so beautiful. I had this like, just like down into like my bones feeling when you're describing this riverbank and the river flowing. To me, that's like, that's the embodiment of emperor and empress energy, mm. right? Like the, the river bank is the emperor and, and the river flowing is the empress. I, mm -hmm. I've got the emperor on my mind a lot as we're recording this. It's, um, it's mid-December uh, 2019. This will be released. We'll be in the emperor, in the emperor year. Um, and I'm very much like looking forward to getting to dig in into some of that, that, that structure. But I think that a riverbank is such a beautiful analogy 
because it 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 guards it guards and it allows the flow and not just for the river the movement of the river itself but when we're you we're really looking at a whole ecosystem mm. right and so that the the and i'm thinking too um you know that story about how wolves were released back into yellowstone natural park have you seen that no i'm not familiar. it's beautiful we'll, we'll link to it I'll, i'm sure i'll bastardize the story but the idea is that wolves were absent or extinct from yellowstone natural uh, national park and this had tremendous repercussions on the whole ecosystem. And you can watch like little videos that are like five minutes to say, okay, wolves were reintroduced, which meant that now there was a predator for the deer. There had been an over like expansion of deer and they were grazing, like overgrazing the mm. landscape. And so once the deer started to be called by the predators again then we had you know forest started to reestablish itself and so there was room for so much more flora and fauna and and specifically it went to say that um because there were more trees now the beavers are able to come back in and start to create the dams again and how there was no more of that overgrazing that there was enough vegetation to hold the hold the riverbanks and that literally it changed the flow of the river the fact that i know i like chills wow. and goosebumps <laughs> as i'm saying it it just blows my mind but yeah the fact that like my whole mind is blown because this is to me this is the story of the that's the story of the emperor for me mm. <laughs> and i'm just seeing it. it's like when i create a tarot deck the emperor is going to be the wolf um because you know having that having that structure and having that that more you know like divine masculine energy like really allows the whole ecosystem to flow in the way that it needs to and how life-giving it is mm -hmm. and how we need that structure yeah and i mean even speaking or thinking of um the emperor and taking up right space and thinking of it as like right power and so i think that going back to liberation it's like only you individually can define what that looks like. And it is, um, it's an internal look in as well as around the ecosystem that you, that you inhabit. Um, but a lot of that means it's deprogramming and un, going back to like untethering any sort of stories that you have around how this should look or how this should be, or, um, you know, in this instance for me around like how business should be or how you should run it um so <sighs> would yeah. it be would it be possible for you i i know that you're, you're probably limited and what you can say specifically about the work the actual people that you do actual work with but would you be able to say a little bit about like a result or an outcome that you were able to facilitate in your work like in Will you mind repeating the, the beginning of that question? It broke up on my end. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. Annie. I just want I, I want I want to ask the question about specifically, like, could you speak a little bit more clearly about a specific outcome that that you were able to create for a business owner that you work with? But I'm mm -hmm. also wanting to be uh, present to the fact that there may be some stuff that you're not at liberty to discuss. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I can I'll speak in in broad terms um, to because I want to honor their. Um, privacy. But um, so one that I'm currently working with, um, you know, she has a lot of knowledge in her industry, clearly an expert, 
wanted to create um, a, a class, if you will, but had some uh, clear boundaries and non-negotiables about how she wanted to show up and create space for those folks. Um, it's a little challenging on the tech side of things, and I wanted to view that as not a problem to honor the way that she was going to be able to show up as her fullest self in that space. So in honoring that and in launching it, um, which has just been in the past few weeks, um, she told me after the fact, but she was hoping to have a certain number of registrations. And as of last night, um, she was at 10 times that. So, yeah, I just think it goes to show that when we can really stand by our our desires, our wants, our non-negotiables for how we want to show up and when we can speak our needs. And then when you have someone who honors that and doesn't try to steer you into a direction that doesn't feel in alignment for you, when, when you can be fiercely protected in how you want to work in alignment, then I think that that's when you're the truest form of your work is allowed to come through and people resonate. That's so beautiful. And I think that it would be so easy to imagine the, the reverse of that, right? And how if, if, if she had come to this work into this class from a place of scarcity and thinking, well, I might have these boundaries and I might have these needs, but, you know, but having the fear that if I honor that, right, then I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make enough. I'm not going to be enough. I'm going to be perceived in a certain way. It's not going to get me what I want, but that I can imagine how that would have not been aligned. Something in the messaging would have probably come through and she may not have had those results. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a TBD on my end because I'm, I'm in the middle of it, but you know, I'm thinking about, I'm feeling an urge to create something. And so in honoring that, it's like, I don't know what form it takes, but I had a conversation on Monday with my online business manager and she was asking all of the right questions in terms of like, what's included and, you know, what do you, like, what form does this take? Which of course are necessary. And I was feeling so much resistance because I still didn't have a clear understanding of why I was doing it. And so I've been spending the past few days in my morning practice, like really trying to unpack what it is that I want this to be. And I'm having to go back to questions like, what do I want to be known for? Like, why is this important to me? How can this really help? And then also going back to... I recently did this workshop and was able to put language around four beliefs for my business. And so then now it's a matter of, okay, whatever I create from henceforth has to touch all four of these beliefs. And so how do I ensure that that's possible? Um, so I have like some ideas, like I don't, I still don't know the what, but I have, um, perhaps the beginnings of a, of a riverbank. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I love this, how you, you did such a beautiful job of describing how you hold space for people and how, you know, you create that fiercely protective space, but you're also bringing in the fact that you have somebody holding that space for you mm-hmm. and sort of being the emperor for you and how, how important that is. And I think that so many of us, I know I fall into this trap very often, you know, who are, you know, healers, space holders, um, feeling like somehow if this is the work that I do, then I shouldn't need it, right? Like I shouldn't need anybody to do this for me, which is complete fallacy. Um, but also I think that it's, you know, coming, I, it can be a little counterintuitive, but, you know, trying to get clarity starting by what you don't want mm-hmm. is, 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 really, is really powerful, which is in a lot of ways, a lot of what the liberation work is today. I think that for myself, it's hard to sometimes, I feel like my imagination is not radicalized enough. I've never been a person who reads a lot of sci-fi. Maybe that's, maybe that's where, um, you know, somewhere I can, I can brush up a little bit, but it's hard for me to imagine a really radical future sometimes like what that might look like, but it's pretty clear what we don't want to take into that future. So you, um, you just mentioned your morning practice and, and mm-hmm. how it's directly tied to this, this developing idea that you, you have a glimmer of. So, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, the water, the, the daily rituals, they keep you grounded, nourished, and inspired to show up for your work. What does a day, a day of tending look like for Maggie? Um, so I, yeah, my, my morning routine is pretty solid um, and it feels really good for me. I'm one of those people that needs ample time to wake up and greet the world. Um, also, I'm an Enneagram too, as I know you are. Yes. Um, and so I, <laughs> you know, I think that helper tendency is I have to, again, hold this fierce boundary for myself in the morning because the second that I check in or touch base with any sort of technology, I'm off the rails. That's a side point. But so um, I I get up and um, the first thing I do is boil water and I, I have a French press, so I make butter coffee. So while that's brewing, I then play with my cat. So I typically brush her and we have these little indoor golf balls. And so it's our playtime while coffee's making. And my goal is to um, also not touch my phone as much as possible during this space. Once coffee's ready, I'll sit down and I'll meditate. And I started, a new 40 day practice for myself. I'm doing the Kirtan Kriya. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love the Kirtan Kriya, which is amazing because I'm not a Kundalini person. <laughs> all, all, of it, all of it is really hard for me, but I love this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's gentle, you know, it, it's really quite sweet. And um, I, I was getting to the point of I'd sit down to meditate, but then I use insight timer, but then it's like, well, what do I do? There's so many options. And so I felt this urge, like I need to narrow my options and find some practices that feel like my go-to so that it's just like, okay, I can choose from these three or these five. So I'm kind of trying ones on for size and I'm on, I think it's day 10 of this 40 day practice with the Kirtan Kriya and and it's feeling really good and supportive. So anyway, I do that. Um, And then I sold journal 
for, I don't know, typically it's anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes on the short end to sometimes it could be 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and then after I sold journal is when I'll then transition into writing for things like soul journaling feels personal. It's stuff that I don't necessarily want to share publicly. If something comes up that feels pertinent, then I kind of transfer it to this other journal. Um, that is more of just like writings in general that I want to develop. Perhaps it's, um, sometimes it could even be as minor as like an Instagram, well, not minor, but as, um, something a little more fleeting, like an Instagram post, or it could be like developing out this new program. So I do all of that ideally before I check in on my phone and then, um, yeah, it kind of goes from there. I might take a shower or, um, yeah, I might like get a few emails done or start some work if I'm feeling called. Um, so that's, that's always there in the morning. Um, and then as far as like other rituals, I haven't yet really narrowed in on like a full evening ritual or kind of end of day ritual. That's something that I want to look for in 2020 is because I work from home. So having something that's a sweet like end cap and a clear delineation where it's like, okay, work is done now, home time. Um, I just want to name something because I happen to know you, but also say that you work, that you live alone um, mm-hmm. with your, with your kitty. Cause I'm like, I like listening to like your beautiful morning ritual and I'm like, I want to be there so bad. And I have two kids. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> can you say, so we'll, we'll link up some of this in, in the show notes, specifically the, the 40 day uh, Kirtan Kriya. Um, can you say a little bit more about soul journal and, and how you've, how you've come into the practice and how you've made it your own? Yeah. Um, so earlier this year, I read a book called writing down your soul by Janet Connor. And, uh, that was where I was introduced to the idea. And in it, she shares that, um, uh, now, now, because I think I've done it in my own style, I'm wondering exactly how correct this is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so she first has you come up with a name for how you're calling spirit, God, universe, source. Um, so you kind of, you create a name for um, this energy. And so you start each entry with dear insert the name that you have designated. And then um, how I, and this is where I'm not quite sure if she suggests this or not, but it's what I have to do is I have to do a little bit of free writing first, because if I'm going straight into inquiry, then I end up with goose eggs. So um, I'll do some free writing first, but the idea in soul journaling is that then you get to a question. And so you pose a question And then you pause and listen and allow the soul to respond. And when the soul responds, you write down what you hear. And um, so sometimes I know, sometimes I have something that I specifically want to inquire about. And so they're, they're more directed to a relationship or a challenging situation. Um, And then other times I'm not quite sure where to dive in. And so that's where, I, at the same time, I was reading Crossing the Unknown Sea by David White, 
and he had some beautiful, beautiful reflections in there. And one that I come back to often is where am I resisting? And for me, that question as an opener is really powerful. Um, so if I start there and then see what happens, it's always quite in, enlightening. So then I just write and continue asking more questions and continue responding until I feel complete. And then I sign it and that's it. <laughs> that's, that's so powerful. I, um, I started reading this book and had a little bit trouble connecting to it. Um, but the way that you describe it feels so, um, just very, feels very nurturing and also very powerful. And I'm wondering, and so I'm just, you know, personal disclosure, I'm a long, like lifelong journaler. And I would say that what I do falls more in line with the morning pages as, as outlined by Julia Cameron, which is kind of like three longhand pages that you do as close to possible as, you know, when you, when you get up in the morning. Um, but I've, but I'm at a place where I'm feeling a little stagnant in, in that practice. And so I'm, I'm wondering, since you said that this is a newer practice for you, right? Like how does it contrast and compare to maybe other practices that you've done in the past with journaling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think why this one, I mean, it's newer well, I guess it's probably, I'm coming up on like eight or nine months, um, which is still fairly new. And I think why it still feels relevant is because what I can quite easily slip into is almost like diary style journaling, where it's just a recounting of what happened the previous day. And I was eager for something more. I wanted my journaling practice to really be more contemplative, more of a conversation, more of um, more of a way and a tool for me to tap into my intuition, more for me to hear what my soul sounds like. <laughs> Um, and because of that, I think that's why it, it, now it feels like such an integral part of, um, my day and, and my being quite, quite frankly. Um, yeah. Yeah. When you describe it like that, it feels very clear to me, you know, that, um, you know how the, you know, Tara teacher, Lindsay Mack talks about like the two radio stations, oh, like, yeah. you know, the, of the, I, I forget exactly the terms that she uses. I use the terms ego and soul and how really we're getting, we've got these two kind of radio stations, like these two frequencies that are embedded inside of us. And, and, and one is the ego being the part of us that is, um, that's a part of us that is really concerned with staying small and safe. That's a part of us that's really concerned with survival. And so its main message really usually is going to be fear. And um, 
and usually that's the, that's the place, that's the place of us that has, you know, built up these habits um, and these um, practices and these beliefs that will, you know, that is trying to keep us in survival, but it usually keeps us small and safe and how the, and how the, the other piece, the soul is really the voice of our connection to source is the voice of our true nature. And is the part of us that's really interested in an in expansion and in service and in, and in liberation. And, and, and what I'm, this is kind of crystallizing for me that I, the way that I journal is just very much what you're describing, sort of like the more diary, like recalling of what happened sounds like a lot more like radio one. Like it sounds a lot more like, right. Like, like the ego, the parts of you is like, well, this happened and I didn't like this and I feel cranky about all of these things. Right. And, and the point being that, I mean, <laughs> for most of us, like we spend like most of our days in that, in that part of our brain and that part of our being. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But, but that I, I like this idea of how you are bringing in very consciously looked and created this journaling practice to give voice to that part of yourself that is connected to source that is in direct conversation with source and that, you've created this safe space for yourself in which you can ask these hard questions and that you do all of that, like before, like before you start your work. And so, I mean, that's just, that's so, you know, that's so, that's so powerful, you know, from a yoga therapy standpoint, the question that we're asking is, you know, what are we, what are we connecting to? Because the thing that you're connecting to, you're going to take on those qualities into your system and, and when we'll become, you know, start to become those qualities. And so if I'm spend, I mean, no, no dissing on morning pages here. I think that we're just kind of like having a conversation about like where we need to evolve, where I need to evolve. But I feel that for me, if I spend three, three pages, which is such a habitual thing for me, and I can just, you know, like, you know, crank them out so easily, but just being like, this is what's happening. This is where I am. I'm really connecting to that part of me that mm -hmm. is really more rooted in that survival fear response and a lot less connected to, to the soul. So. Yeah. And, and I think you, um, what I was hearing as you were saying all that is I think really what, um, this practice has become for me is a way to get out of reactivity and into a space of really trying to intentionally be more proactive. And so I think that, again, talking about liberation is I think that continually just retelling or recounting what happened is almost like me continuing to stay stuck and to stay chained if I'm just continuously replaying these challenges or, or, or traumas um, rather than this is one step that feels um, like forward action for me to step into the future that I want in thinking about um, what's possible. And, 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 and I don't mean that as not, as I say that I'm sitting here thinking, and also there's like immense presence about it. So it's not constantly living in this future state, but um, yeah, it's a balance always. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it sounds to me as I'm, as I'm hearing you recall, because you and I have had these conversations in the past, that you 
have created this these rituals in a very intentional way. It sounds like to serve very specific needs. So how how has your practice around rituals like evolved over time? Like what has it looked like in the past and what sort of like brought you to this place now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, you're, I mean, you mentioned previously that I, I live alone and that's true. However, that's been newer for me. So I um, separated from my partner earlier this year. Before that, I cohabitated with him for um, eight, almost eight years. Um, so, you know, yes, my morning ritual sounds quite luxurious because I do have the privilege and the honor to create it exactly as I want. Um, before that, my morning was largely determined by attempting to create some connection time with him. Um, and then, you know, it also has changed around how, um, you know, my work has shifted. So previously, um, there was a few months last year where I went back to a full-time job. So when I had to go um, into the office, it was pretty negligent while I was focusing on getting ready for work and the commute. Um, so really after that, and then, you know, it, it elongated for some time when I didn't have as much on my plate. And so it's definitely morphed over the past two years. The most I would say previously there was, um, yeah, I think there was the intention, but there wasn't much action. Can you speak it? Because I'm, I'm hearing or there's a real relationship for you between your personal ritual and the work that you do in the world. And it seems mm. that the two sort of nourish and fe- have the potential to nourish and feed each other or the opposite. So can you speak a little bit to that about like what it means to step, like step into a bigger game in your world, in your work, mm-hmm. sorry, and, and how that correlates to rituals? Thanks for that reflection. Um, I don't know if I'd made that connection before, but... I, I another, <clears throat> excuse me, another quote that I come back to often comes from Esther Perel. And I read um, Mating in Captivity earlier this summer. And she mentions that, let me see if I I can get this right, but uh, desire, she defines desire as the owning of your wanting. And I, the decision that I made to separate while as difficult as it was, was also the first step in really owning this larger wanting for myself. And I think as I made these steps towards that, um, I kind of see it expand other areas of my life. And so for, you know, for my morning routine too, or my morning ritual, I feel like it's so important and potent for me because I, in my day, I'm giving a lot. I'm offering of myself to 
a handful, a couple handfuls of clients, which I love immensely. I love my work. And I know that in order for me to show up well, well resourced um, for them, I have to make sure that I feel like I've had my space because at the end of the day, I'm also an introvert. So that's how I recharge. I really need that time alone. Um, and I've seen it too. It started to grow when I don't when I don't have that time, I can feel resentment start to seep in and fester. And I don't want to bring that energy to the work that I do. So be, you know, so yes, they do play off of each other as I'm like fumbling through trying to process this. But yeah, I think because I want to show up a certain way with the work that I do with my clients, it's like requiring me to have that alone time, but then the alone time, um, also, yeah, feeds into how I can show up in the way that I want. So I don't know where it originated, but they do play off of one another. Um, is there a certain way that you, that you shift your rituals to accommodate different seasons in your life? And that might mean like seasons of nature, meaning like how when you're shifting from, you know, summer to fall to winter, et cetera, or just seasons, you've talked a little bit about seasons of busyness and seasons where there's more space. So mm -hmm. how does that? Yeah. Um, there's definitely room for growth there. <laughs> Um, because I'm, I'm still imperfect when, um, things get really busy, then yes, these rituals tend to go. Um, and I think I went through a pretty intense period this fall. There were like September through November was quite excruciating. Um, I just had a lot on my plate and, um, I was not, I was not sleeping. I wasn't eating well. I did. I wasn't eating to nourish my body. I wasn't moving. I, I I was neglecting a lot of these very real physical needs. Not to mention any sort of emotional, mental, spiritual rejuvenation. Um, and I think because I hit that point of burnout, it just is a reminder of how important these are. And maybe you'll know, Fanny, I can't remember who originally said this, but I've seen it come up a few times. And I don't know if they say it was Buddha originally, but about how um, a student asks how long one should meditate. And the teacher's response is an hour a day. Are you going to say this better? Than <coughs> no, I'm not going to say better than you, but I don't think it's the Buddha. But I don't okay. know where I've seen it. But... <clears throat> yeah, you know, the, the thing is like, um, you know, somebody asked like, how long should I meditate? And it's like, like, you should meditate for 20 minutes a day, unless you don't have time, then you need to meditate for an hour a day, meaning exactly. that the busier that we are, the more that we need those spiritual practices in. But the point of the the point of the quote or the point of the story is that it feels super counterintuitive, right? Because mm -hmm. then when we hear is like, oh, wait, we, I thought you were going to go the other way there, that if I don't have time, then, oh, well, I don't need to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I need to experiment with is when I find myself in those places, um, 
and I think, um, you know, I work with an intuitive healer and she's also a breathwork practitioner. And, you know, she was saying, um, that when I feel it most like sit down and do 30 minutes of breath work and that feels excruciating. Um, and so, and to be honest, I have not yet done that. So I, I know that, um, for myself, that's the biggest growing edge is when I'm really feeling constrained, um, to come back to the practices that I know work. I think that it can be so, I think it can be easy when we fall into, into that place of, I'm not doing what I quote unquote should be doing, you know, which is a little bit what that meditation quote can kind of sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be easy to feel really down on ourselves, right? And being like, oh, I'm not doing the thing. I'm not walking the walk, you know, walking the talk or whatever. Um, you know, for me, as you were saying that, I came back to this image of the riverbank and I came and, and how really the, the ritual is not a box that you're checking off. It is not about virtue. It is not about, you know, like being a good person. It's not about any of those. It's about literally, I need this structure to hold me mm-hmm. so that my work can flow, you know, so that my service can flow. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, I, and it goes back to this, you know, personal liberation that then expands outwardly and that I, in those moments, I was denying myself. And it's not that, and again, I'm not saying that to be down on myself and it's not about um, coming back to a should, but it's just a reminder and there's always room to grow and to learn. So, um, but it's a reminder for me of what's possible, of what's here and also acknowledging too, there are times when I just can't bring myself to do it. And then to give myself as much compassion as possible that it's not a problem. <laughs> and that's, that's the piece that I was, I was hoping that we bring this to is, is compassion, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my work with, with clients and my, my coaching and my yoga therapy practice, there's often this question of, how long should I do the practice for? How often should I do it for? Like we kind of want to have these, you know, these externals because really we want to know if we're doing a good job. And I think that's such a human thing to want. And, you know, we are really trained to relate to, you know, to teachers and healers as, you know, figures of authority that in some ways we want to please. I'm getting a little bit off track here. But the point of it is that I make is like, listen, everything can be an opportunity to practice self-compassion. And ultimately that is what your practice is about, right? It's about cultivating self-compassion for yourself. And you can either do it actively through nourishing yourself, or you can do it, you know, a little bit from the back door in the sense that if you miss your practice or you're in a season where for reasons or whatever that you can't do it, then you can use that as an opportunity to practice Mm self-compassion and then it brings you back to the purpose, right? So nothing is lost. Yeah. And it's always coming back to um, knowing that the ritual is here for you when you're ready. And um, so I have to remember that too, that it's always here. And I think you're right too. You mentioned about, you know, 
I think that's a difference between ritual and routine is that when ritual has that in, intentionality behind it, and if it starts to feel like the box checking, then it's falling more into routine. And so I have to be cognizant of that too, of is, is this sliding more to routine versus ritual? And if it does feel that, then perhaps that's when it's like, oh, does a, a, a shakeup need to happen? Yeah. Does it, is this still, is this still, still serving me? Cause the purpose of it is that you, you know, like the riverbank will cho- will change in shape based on how much or how little flow it needs to accommodate or, you know, what is, what is the nature of the river? And so it's the same with our rituals. It's, it needs to accommodate, you know, seasons of growth and expansion and that our needs are going to be different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so allowing for, allowing for that space and that receptivity and that sort of, um, you know, that uh, nimble quality of being able to change with what's needed. Um, Absolutely. Really beautiful. So, so shifting a little bit into sort of like recommendations and so forth. So are there some favorite resources that support your practice? So that might be, you know, products. It can be practices. It can be people that you work with, people that inspire you, um, anything that you want to share. Yeah. Um, I, we mentioned Lindsay Mack earlier and so she's really good. I mean, she's fairly consistent in sharing tarot spreads on her, um, Instagram wild soul healing. And so I will often do those. It seems recently like she's doing them fairly consistency consistently on the new and full moons, which Mm -hmm. has been, um, nice. Also, I, um, I read and follow Sarah Gottesdiener, uh, with modern women. Um, and Jeff Henshaw, cosmic cousins. Um, so, you know, they all kind of blend astrology and tarot, um, Chani Nicholas too. Um, they're actually, um, my, friend Erica Midkiff introduced me to The Fold. It's an online magazine, but they have monthly taroscopes, which I finally signed up for their um, newsletter because she, we're, we're both uh, Sun Geminis. And so she'll like send them to me every month and it always feels so spot on. Awesome. So that, um, what other tools? Um, because those have all been folks. I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder at my <laughs> coffee table where I do most of my practice. Um, yeah, I mean, because I just have, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm constantly reading. So I got to give a shout out to the Austin Public Library because that's where I get <laughs> most of my books. <laughs> um, that has been a huge resource for me. Um, we're at the end of the year. So, uh, Susanna Conway, she does the unravel your year. Yeah. It just came out yesterday as it of did. this recording. I'm so uh-huh. I've been doing that one for like about 10 years. So. Oh, wow. I'm, this will be my third year, I believe. So, um, I do that to help me pick the word of the year. So I'll be doing that soon. Um, yeah, I try and I, I, I mean, even though I know that buying products also supports the small business owners that are selling them and um, I, yeah, I try to tend to support more service-based 
folks. So any, any advice or recommendations for our listeners who either want to create or revive their own ritual practice? I think it would be to go in with a beginner's mind and, um, you know, I have to remind myself of this often of not being too precious with it, allow it to be an experiment and, um, it's okay to try on some, some new things. Um, and it's also okay if something doesn't feel right or fit. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, yeah. And ultimately I think it's about asking the question of what feels good for you. So a continual check-in of if this is still supporting, if it is great and keep on moving. And if it's not great and what else can um, be brought in or does something need to be eliminated? And um, yeah. So just coming with that almost like Goldilocks approach to the Mm, ritual. I love that. I love that. (laughs) You need it to be just right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where, where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Uh, I have a website and it's just my name, maggiegentry.com. And, um, of all the socials, I'm most active on Instagram, which you can find me at, uh, Maggie Gentry underscore. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been such a rich and deep and nourishing conversation and so many, so many gems and nuggets that I want to take and sit with and take in. So thank you so much for, for your time and your generosity and your vulnerability today. Thank you, Fanny. It's an honor, truly. The honor is mine. For more information about the podcast, please visit my website, yinyogamagic.com slash podcast. This podcast is produced and edited by Les Weiler.